Welcome to Parliamental, the podcast where I, Jerry Maguire, not an MP, get the lowdown on Westminster and parliamentary life from my local MP, Anne McLaughlin. Hi, Anne. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Uh, I am all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, we we don't do a podcast for like a month and <laughs> everything's different. I know. Everything's changed. There's, there's a ton of talk about this week, so let's go Parliamental. Yay. Um, the first, you know, we saw the news, um, all the kind of horrible stuff that happened in Westminster, um, the, the attack at Westminster Bridge and stuff, and you were actually in the, the House of Parliament mm-hmm. at the time, so do you want to just give us a wee bit about like what that experience was, how it happened, how it unfolded for you? Uh, well, I was, I had just voted and um, I was leaving when I noticed the big wooden door had shut and, you know, I mean, I quite often walk about, oh, not just Westminster, but particularly Westminster, and say, oh, is that new? I've never seen that before. Um, and I just thought, oh, they must close the door when uh, we're voting. And I mentioned it to somebody, and they said, no, no, there's been gunshots. <laughs> what? Um, and I didn't quite... I thought they were making it up. Uh, but anyway, quickly, the word got around that there had been gunshots fired um, outside. And... Uh, yeah, so we were, um, I'd never heard of lockdown before. I've clearly not watched the right films, but I'd never heard of lockdown before. But we were on lockdown um, in the chamber uh, for nearly five hours. And the deputy deputy uh, speaker was giving his regular updates. Um, I've got to say, though, uh, you know, although we were updated on what was happening, it didn't, didn't seem quite as alarming until, of course, we found out the policeman had died. It didn't seem quite as alarming as it did to everybody watching. So uh, the team here in in Glasgow in the office were watching it live on TV, including uh, Graham, my partner, and they were really, really worried. And it looked—I mean, I've not actually watched it on TV yet. I, I don't. I mean, I think like most unfolding kind of um, tragedies, for want a better word, um, mm. it's not really worth watching it on TV because it's just mm. panic. And, you know, exaggerated details and it's just really, it's, I'm not saying it's meant to worry, but, you know, definitely Mm. stokes up the fear a wee bit compared to... Because, I mean, we were, we were less, I wasn't frightened. I didn't think anything was going to happen to me, but then I suppose you never do think things are going to happen to you. Um, But they were frightened and thought that, um, and I texted my mum and I said, just to let you know I'm okay. And she said, "Why wouldn't you be?" And I thought, "Oops." <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't don't um, But it was it was it was absolutely horrible, you know. And you know, when I saw the photo of Keith Palmer, the policeman who died, I thought, "I think I know that face," but I wasn't totally sure. But then, when I saw the photo of him in uniform, yeah, I'd spoken to him a couple of times. He was really friendly, really chatty. But regardless of whether I'd ever spoken to him or not, the man's there to keep us safe and he ends up dying because of it and it was just just awful um so yeah yeah i think it it was uh, other mps were outside or were on their way to vote um and some of them ended up in scotland yard some of them ended up in i think committee rooms or something i think we were probably in the safest place being in the chamber um and it didn't even feel like it didn't feel like five hours but yeah it was the next couple of days were pretty rough i uh, it was a strange feeling i felt like i'd i'd had a bereavement or something you know that way you feel really exhausted and your head's fuzzy and you can't concentrate i had to obviously rebook my transport home and i couldn't work out how to get home should i get the train should i fly i was very indecisive and i think it was just kind of hitting me then you know what had happened so um 
But yeah, it's just awful. And the other thing that concerns me is the people you hear about who were injured, you forget about them. Sometimes those injuries are life-changing, you know, and, you know, their lives may have been saved, but they're going to change dramatically. Yeah, even the, even if the physical scars healed, there's mental scars, but it must be quite a horrible experience. Aye. Even people who um, maybe even weren't injured physically at that time, people just who were walking along the bridge or, yeah. or, or saw it could be really affected. And it is, um, obviously you're down there a lot, but if anyone listening has been down there, that's a really big tourist hotspot. People Aye. gather there. There's loads of wee kind of stalls that appear that sell yeah. you crap. Um, there's a yeah. real, the last time I was in that bridge... You can hardly walk across yeah, it. Yeah, you're getting um, uh, selfie sticks in the eye and all that. And the last time Aye. I walked across, there was a young couple who quickly took their jackets off and they were in full wedding regalia getting photographs. Yeah. So it's that, it's that kind of place. Like, it's just full of life and full of excitement Were the Japanese? Stuff. They were. Well, yeah. yeah there, there are a lot of Japanese weddings where they come and that's that's where they go to get their photographs taken. Yeah. So I was and like, it's oh, lovely it's like, yeah. to see it. So that, that's the kind of place it is. Like, it's mm. quite... A, quite a lively and exciting place and and i just wonder how in the aftermath of that like how people obviously still use that bridge because they have to just get across the water and stuff but i wonder if the if the vibe of that place is, is a wee bit different now i know well there was i saw the thing the other day but the, the big memorial thing um and all the people were on the bridge and on the road um and just having some kind of vigil I think it was for the victims but yeah as you say there's other people who I mean there might have been people in that chamber who were quite scared and and you know in this attitude you know we will not be cowed we will not well okay we'll carry on doing what we do but that's not quite the same thing and all this talk it's good to stand up to people it's good not to give in to them but it's also good to acknowledge when it's had an effect on you and when you really need to think it through and you need to maybe talk it through with somebody and you know there's a lot of people have experienced other things I mean there's people throughout the world who experience that type of thing all the time and live in fear like that all the time and there's nobody there to protect them but anybody that's experienced any kind of trauma needs to I worry about people who adopt that kind of you know we will not be cowed we will not bend to this attitude when in actual fact what they need is somebody to talk to mm-hmm. anyway that's my wee hobby horse but, um, I mean just to get a wee bit political for a minute like you're saying lots of people around the world suffer things like that and, and, yeah. and see worse things on a daily basis and, and mm. those are the people that we're being less welcoming to at the minute. Um, yes, I know. You know exactly. For us, that was, a, that was a horrible event, and it was mm. it was news. But in some parts of the world, you know, is that news? You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a horrible crime happened. You know, it wouldn't really make it on the news. So exactly. No, I totally agree with you. And yet, and yet, we're saying, well, you know, being in fear of your life every minute of every day is not a good enough reason yeah. for us to give you. When you go back to the country, just pretend not to be gay. Aye, I know. If everything will be fine then, so it's that kind of horrible stuff. Know. That, you know, when it's when it happens to people here, and, and it happens to people from all around the world, it happened to you know the victims were American, European, mm. um, as well as well as British. Um, that that you know we we do appreciate the kind of the pain of that, but yeah. we maybe don't. We maybe don't extend that same courtesy to people, or not saying people yeah. listen to this podcast, but you know the, the British media especially. Maybe don't expand that same yeah. feeling to other people. Yeah, no. And obviously, the the events of that day in Westminster um, had an impact in the Scottish Parliament. Um, they were um, voting on, or they were planning to vote on Section Thirty because mm. I think the preceding week Nicola Sturgeon announced a new Scottish independence referendum. She yeah. said, "Will happen." So she was going to call for Section Thirty powers, but obviously that day it maybe wasn't a day for it or whatever. So yeah. um, the, the debate was kind of paused. Um, and she said that the referendum when it comes will be held at some point between 2018 and 2019, once we find yep. out what Brexit is. 
So just to get light for a minute, how excited were you when Nicola Sturgeon got up in the St Andrew's <laughs> house and said we're on for a referendum? Oh, do you know, I don't think there's many people would be quite so excited at looking forward to redundancy. But yeah, I was like, <laughs> I mean, even in the Glasgow office when I got back, everybody's like, yay, yay, we're going to be on the door. But, but actually meaning it, I mean, I'm, I'm mm. hopefully they'll all get other jobs. But yes, very excited. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it had to happen. We've got a mandate for it. I mean, it couldn't have been more explicit, you know, if something material changes, we reserve the right to hold another referendum. And what do you know, the example that we gave of something yeah. material changing yeah. was Brexit. exactly what happened, yeah. you know, and they would be um, failing in their duty if they didn't uh, have a referendum. So, no, I think, you know, it's great news and I'm, I'm confident we can win the next one. I'm quite excited, but it's a, I suppose it's a different type of excitement from the last one. There's a wee bit of... And me anyway, I feel a wee bit more steely about this one. Like, this one has to happen. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, mm. there's a kind of serious core to it, whereas the last one was felt a bit more carnival and exciting and possibilities. But this one, I feel like we, we know we really need to do mm. this one. We really need yeah. to do this one because the alternatives are, are pretty grim. No, we do need to win it. Um, we will. I'm sure of it, you know, because we'll, we'll put the work in. The people that care about Scotland being independent are so passionate and just so willing to just throw themselves into it. And we will, and we'll have that carnival atmosphere back again. But this time, there'll be more emphasis, I think, on understanding the arguments and having those conversations. Not that we didn't do that last time, but there'll be more of that this time. Um, and, yeah, I think everybody's champing at the bit. <laughs> I think there'll be a learning experience, like I, I think I've said before, about the feeling that we got when we realised that we're coming out of the EU. It's not mm. quite the same thing, but that, that feeling, I think, is going to be quite informative, I think, when it comes to having those conversations with people yeah. who are maybe more in the fence about independence, yeah. that with a wee bit more direct empathy, I think, because we know what it's like to be yeah. pulled out of something that's, that, that we, we see don't as, want yeah, to be pulled out of. And I think it will make us a little bit more uh, sympathetic to people who have different views to us. Um, it's a very different thing, but I understand why people you know, think it's not that different. But it's certainly, as you say, it is an example of leaving something that some people want to and some people don't. So, yeah, I think it will make us much better in terms of, you know, more sensitive about the conversations that we have. And the the, the chat we hear, particularly from the Conservatives, about not having a mandate, like you said, is kind of ridiculous. It was in, it's in the SNP manifesto, like you're saying, pretty black uh, and white, that we can, you know, can have it. And back in Margaret Thatcher's day, she was quite keen, keen that if, like, for example, yeah. you... And and um, your colleagues in the Westminster round, and that would be it. I know that would be it. So I mean, maybe I mean that was a bit, that was a bit hopeful. Well, not a bit hopeful. That she maybe... more or less told us to declare UDI if we get more than half of the MPs mm. in Scotland. And how many MPs we got in Scotland? All of them, practically. Mm, bit more than half. Yeah. But yeah, no. Uh, the, the Scottish Conservatives are just ridiculous anyway. I mean, their behaviour recently has just been. Uh, quite sad to watch um, but you know I'm not going to give them any advice I'm quite happy for them to to go down even further in the estimations of the people of Scotland mm -hmm. I mean I think Ruth Davidson said <clears throat> that um, you know she's I think at one point in a speech she said um, that she would you know she stands up for this parliament and then literally voted for the parliament not to ask for a referendum which mm. is and, and obviously I understand her position she's not for it mm. but it's quite undemocratic to think that actually you can't... It's, it's in the same way, I suppose, if we tried to deny that the Brexit vote had happened. Yeah. You know, no one here is trying to say that Britain shouldn't mm. leave Europe in some capacity. That's yeah. what the referendum was. But you know, we've got different options. But for someone to say that, you know, the, 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 the minority government that won with a majority and commands parliament to not have a referendum, 
She's tried. To, I mean, she tried tried to do the Scottish Parliament down, basically. Yeah, well, she's been quite dis- disrespectful, uh, you know, recently to the Parliament, to the people of Scotland, to Nicola. I didn't see it, but I heard that when Nicola wanted to intervene, she just said, "Sit down, Nicola," which is just rude. And then last the <clears throat> uh, last question time that was on. Um, she was speaking to a Labour MP and she said, um, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was something like, just get it sorted, love, and called her love. And I thought, oh my goodness, you are losing control. I mean, MSPs, to, to non-front bench MSPs, don't talk to each other like that, you know? Mm. Um, the worst the worst of a thing I've ever seen for, for somebody not to an intervention is like hand up and a kind of polite shake of the head. But yeah. for someone to do that to the First Minister, whoever the First Minister is, whatever party they're in, sit down, love, mm. I mean, that's not... Well, um, I don't think she called her love. I mean, she called somebody love on mm. question time. But but yeah, just to tell you, sit down. It, it, it's just disrespectful, full stop, because that is a colleague of yours, you know. Don't treat anybody like that. But I think she can't, she almost can't help herself. The nice, cheery, friendly Ruth Davidson is disappearing and we're seeing a di- different side because she's she's actually getting desperate mm. um, because she sees this referendum coming and she thinks we're going to win. What's been the um, so you're down at Westminster, obviously? What's been mm. the kind of reaction amongst your colleagues, not even necessarily MPs, but just you know people you work with and stuff about the idea of a referendum coming? Like, how do people feel oh, about it? Totally up for it. In actual fact, right, a Labour MP said to me when when it was announced, we then had a group meeting that day, an MP group meeting, and the next and and it was great. Everybody was like really, really uh, just buoyed by the announcement, and like all we could talk about was right. Okay, you know, so we're on this. How are we going to win it? And you know, just talking about the real opportunities that it brings for Scotland, which is obviously why we're all there. But um, the next day, a Labour MP said to me, "Yeah, I'm hearing about the splits in your group." And I, I said, "Splits on what?" And he said, "On this referendum, some of you don't want it." And I thought that was so funny. <laughs> and I said, "Oh right, okay. Well, you know something I don't." And they were all acting really well last night. No, it was absolutely. You know, over the moon, but also uh, all the folk that work for MPs and the research team and press team. Yeah, it's really nice because it's almost like, um, you know, it's almost like, right, we can cast off the misery of losing last time because we ain't going to lose this time. Mm-hmm. And you can just feel the atmosphere changing. We've always had a good, strong, positive atmosphere down in Westminster anyway, since we, the, you know, the 50 plus got elected. But yeah, you could just feel it with everybody. They're all really buoyed by it. And, and I suppose for, for you guys, especially psychologically, you you are in a very much a minority in the Westminster government and you frequently act as the actual opposition in, in mm. many ways. Um, so this must be good to think you're something that actually, you know, you, you, you command, you know, about 50% of the Scottish opinion like today on something. So mm. rather than an issue of in Parliament where you think we're just going to, there's 50 odd others are going to vote and it's not going to happen. This is something that, is it going to work? Yeah. You know, it's going to, it's, you're going to really going to win this one, fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, we can actually do something. I mean, you get tiny, tiny victories down there. And mostly when you're standing up in Parliament, the most satisfaction you get is that you are standing up for your constituents as opposed to making changes. It's difficult to make changes when there's so many of them against you. But yeah. Yeah, we'll still keep trying though. But yeah, this is something that we can actually do and it can make a significant difference. And again, back in the dim and distant, but you know, it's not, we haven't talked about it in the podcast. Um, there was SNP Spring Conference in Aberdeen um, and we had some great representation from Proven Branch. Now yeah. you spoke twice, Anne. Mm. Uh, the second time is the first time speaker, I think. Um, <laughs> 
So what what were you up talking about? And <laughs> if you put down that you're a first time speaker, you're more likely to get called, but they didn't really fall for it. Um, uh, so I was speaking on uh, the Green Deal, the constituents who myself and Ivan have been supporting, um, who basically got ripped off by companies that um, you know were doing things to their homes that didn't do them properly, then went bust. Um, they were supposed to get some of the costs back from the Green Deal. Uh, some of them were supposed to get all of the costs back. Couldn't get the costs back because they couldn't get building warrants because the workmanship was so shoddy. Um, uh, there's wider issues at stake here, and it's not just my constituency, but there's a lot of people in mine who have this problem. So I was speaking about that. Alan Casey, um, one of our council candidates in Deniston, he, him and Joe Brady in my office have done an awful lot of work on this. And um, the uh, Alan was um, he moved the resolution, and uh, and I seconded it. What was the other thing I was speaking on? I actually, uh, I actually can't remember. Clearly made an impact on you. It was something that was really moving. Um, yeah, it was really inspiring. Was it? Oh, I know what it was. It was community empowerment. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was about urban. It was about land reform. Land that reform. was it. And I was just uh, because it's mainly when you talk about land reform, you're talking about rural land mm-hmm, reform. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about urban land reform. Now, Rosanna Cunningham, the minister responsible, she went before me, and it was great because she was the she raised urban land reform and how they had widened it out. And um, and so I was talking specifically about how it impacts on deprived communities and how it can be used. And uh, yeah, I'm really enthusiastic about that. But they didn't tell me I was getting called. And um, oh, then, yeah. <laughs> then he just called my name. And I had my trainers on, my leopard print trainers. They are na- and they're, they're natty trainers. They, they are, but I'm not sure I would have normally worn them. So I thought I wasn't getting called. And then when he called me, I had to run. Therefore, it was made sense to keep the trainers on. Plus, I didn't have time to change out of them. So uh, I was a bit out of breath when I got to the stage. But one of our members said to me, you know, it just sounded like you were really, really passionate. And I thought, oh. Yeah, you oh. nailed it. Cause I've seen because um, the, the video, you you kind of run run past the stage and it's quite funny. But you're straight into it. You don't even miss a beat. Like you don't. <laughs> I should have really stopped and caught, caught my breath. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Proven, uh, so the resolution on the Green Deal was ours and that got passed. And uh, Mary McCabe spoke to a resolution on land tax, um, which was an amendment of ours, and that got passed. Um, and yeah, a number of Proven folks spoke. We were quite, we were quite um, high profile at conference this year. Nailed it, Proven. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. What was your highlight at conference? Obviously, apart from running on stage and trainers, what what was the whole experience? Like, what was your kind of highlight? Um, I think part of it for me was Proven. Team Proven uh, got a house and from Airbnb. <laughs> and we, Is it still standing? It's uh, still standing, yes. Actually, we tied it up. Um, Police tape and, over the doors. Uh, no, we told people that if they wanted a party, the party had to be in some other house. No, it was really good actually doing that, all staying together. That was good. Um, Nicola's speech, obviously. I mean, you know, uh, Nicola speaks every year and she speaks really well, but I thought this year was particularly, particularly fabulous. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I liked being in Aberdeen. I went to Stonehaven on the way back. Nice. Um, yeah, it's lovely there. It was just nice to get, I think we just stayed for an hour, but an hour of fresh air and the madness of this life of mine was lovely. It was so nice being by the water, and, yeah, it was great. 
And then I saw on your social channels that you had a petition up about a constituent this week, mm-hmm. um, someone potentially being deported, I think Shannon Fazer name. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, from what I could read, it was a pretty immediate case. There was a mm-hmm. deportation sort of looming. Do you want to give us a wee bit of background about the case and, and what happened? Yeah, so I have uh, known Shannon for about 18 months. She'd come to me before. When she came to me, she was coming to tell me her story and see if there was anything I could do to help. And I did write to the immigration minister at the time. Basically, she came here when she was 13 from China. Her parents had come over on student visas, sent for her at the age of 13. And she thought this is her life here because that's where she's been since. So she went to school. She then went to Edinburgh Uni. She graduated with an MA Honours in Accountancy, I think it was. And uh, when she went to find work, she applied for a national insurance number. And that's when she discovered that she has no legal status in this country. Um, and that is because her parents had overstayed their visas. They they hadn't renewed their visas. Now, I don't know if it was an admin error or whatever. I would assume that they probably would be entitled to but it, her parents are not my issue. Um, the issue is that she is the child of overstayers and there's nothing, there's no legal provision for that. There's nothing in the law book says what to do about it. But it wasn't her fault and there was nothing she could do about it. And um, of course, at the time when she discovered this, she was quite panicked and she was advised that if once you've been in the UK for 14 years, you can then apply. You wouldn't necessarily get it, but she probably would have done. You can apply to uh, for leave to remain on the grounds of length of residency. Um, but three months before she reached that 14 years, they changed it to 20 years. So poor girl, none of this is her fault. I mean, she was 13 She's not going to say, now, parents, have you got the correct visa? You know, all she knew is she went to school, she went to uni, they paid for her to go to uni. Um, and she was oblivious to all this. So basically, uh, that's what she was coming for help with. She wanted my help to, and I asked the minister if he would make an exception. Now, speaking to the minister at the time, he seemed quite sympathetic to her case. It's quite an unusual case. Um so she's kept in touch, but uh, then she was suddenly uh, taken to immigration detention um, a week ago last Monday. Now, immigration detention, I'd held a debate on that in Parliament. It was my, you can have your own personal debate. I'd held a debate on that. It's a horrible thing. You lock people up in prison-like conditions who've done nothing wrong. And you lock them up with a view to deporting them. But quite often they're locked up for months, even years. And they're not deported, but they're just kept in prison-like conditions. She was taken to Dungavel. I wrote to the minister, um, the current minister, and I told him my personal view on it and asked him if he could make an exception because there's nothing in legislation for her. And I didn't hear back. Um, now, she's very keen not to have publicity. So, uh, But by the Monday, she was due to be deported on Wednesday to China. She knows nobody there. She doesn't read and write Properly, uh, Mandarin. She reads and writes English, obviously. But English is now her primary language. Yeah, this is someone who's um, got different cultures, but you yeah. would say be culturally Scottish and now yes. be asked to go to China. Like, yeah. You know. And she's a great person. I mean, she's she's smart, obviously. She wouldn't have her honours degree. But, but when she found she couldn't work, she went and volunteered instead. So she volunteers for charities. And, you know, they were all supporting her and behind her. So... On Monday morning, we'd heard nothing from the minister, despite chasing them up. They said they were going to review it over the weekend. They didn't get back. I've still not heard from them, um, but I will be contacting them again. 
But basically, we launched a, a media campaign and lots of different media outlets covered it. Annette Christie, who works for me, managed that. My diary was absolutely packed. So basically, we discussed what to do. She went off and did it. She did the petition. She did a great job. Um, we got 2,500 people signing that petition in the first 24 hours. And I would urge people to keep signing it. Um, so just go on my Facebook or um, Twitter and you'll see the links. Um, so basically, uh, she then also got a lawyer who took a different tack. And I don't know why, I don't know what it was down to, but I think it's probably down to the number of people supporting her. They changed their minds, but only temporarily. So they halted the deportation. They released her from immigration, thankfully. They sent her back up to Glasgow. I'm actually going to be meeting her in about 10 minutes' time. Uh, and she also, the other thing to say is she's got a partner here, so he's coming along with her as well. She's got a partner here. You're taking her away from everything she knows. And none of this was her fault. She had no control over it. She couldn't say no. She couldn't check that the visa requirements had been met. She didn't even know there were any, you know. So she's definitely well worth supporting. I mean, I support everybody as much as I can, but this is really exceptional. And I am going to be urging the minister to make an exception for her. So and the weekend's nearly upon us. Obviously, this will go yep. out at some point this weekend. This mm -hmm. is now Friday. Mm -hmm. Spoilers. Um, so what are you doing this weekend? Uh, well, um, by the time you're listening to this, uh, listeners, uh, we will have had a big uh, Super Saturday Day of Action ooh, in... Ooh. <laughs> That's really a Super Saturday theme tune, really. <laughs> in Proven. I think it's uh, Springburn or Royston this week. Um, so, yeah, uh, we've got... Uh, we had the Council Manifesto launch last week, mm -hmm. and that was absolutely brilliant. I've got to say... I loved the manifesto. Cover to cover, it is just brilliant. And I would encourage people to go and have a read of it again. Oh, I can't remember the website. Can you remember the website? Oh, it's snpforglasgow.org. Aye, that's exactly yes. what it is. snpforglasgow.org. And it's the word for, not the number four. I hate that. snpforglasgow.org. Go and look at it. I couldn't be more excited. And I mean that seriously. The manifesto is brilliant. We can transform people's lives. And, and we've got brilliant council candidates who are going to be councillors um, and anybody that wants to get involved in the campaign please look at my Facebook and Twitter, I put everything on it or look at Proven SNP Maryhill Springburn SNP and um, you'll see what's coming up I can't wait because we've really got such an incredible group of council candidates and I know you're supposed to say that and I would be saying it but this is how I would say it if I didn't really mean it and I was just being a politician how I would say it if I didn't mean it is we've got an incredible group of candidates right how I'm actually saying it is is we've got a brilliant group of candidates right across the city fantastic uh, people from all sorts of different backgrounds with all sorts of different ideas I can't wait for them to get elected but in the meantime if you want to help, come out and help. And um, it's, uh, we've also got the, the adoption this weekend. So by the time this goes out, we will have adopted our proven uh, candidates mm -hmm. um, with a big party. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but, be yeah. good. but I would say that, obviously, like you're saying, you are an SNP MP, and I'm sitting here and I do a podcast with an mm -hmm. MP. And if you're listening to this, you're probably interested. So you're maybe a wee bit biased already, but it is a really interesting document. The Aye. manifesto for Glasgow is there's some real bits in there, mm. and again I know we're biased because we're maybe more interested than just average people. But if you're listening at home, um, there's a really it's a really great document. There's some really interesting yeah. bits in it. It's not too long either. It's really digestible. So definitely go and download it 
and read it. There are some really exciting wee bits in there for Glasgow. For example, I'll give you two examples, right? So one is, you know I'm absolutely fanatical about community empowerment, quite obsessed with it. Well, so is the council group. And one of the things they're going to do is they're going to employ local community empowerment officers who are going to work with the communities to enable them to become empowered. It's going to be a grassroots up approach. The other thing they're doing is, every, I think it's every ward is getting, well, every ward gets an amount of money anyway, but £1 million of the money to be spent in each ward is uh, going to be decided by local people. So, um, you know, you'll be able to go along and vote on where that million pounds should go and people will pitch for the money and say, this is the difference I'll make to your community with this money. I don't mean people, just random people, you know. Organisations, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> they might have to have a little yeah. bit of a... I mean, I, I mean I've mean, i got an idea for a million quid, but, you know... But... <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got loads <laughs> of ideas for a million quid. I have to laugh at people who say, oh, no, I wouldn't want to win a million because, what you know, it's limited what you could do with that. Is it really? <laughs> okay. Right, um, so, yeah, so a million pounds. And I think it's pay award. Um, but... Anyway, the best way to find out if I'm telling you the accurate thing is to go to snpforglasgow.org. And if that's wrong, we'll just edit it all out later. Just, just a really bad edit over the top, like me, <laughs> me, me, me and my house just saying different website URL. <laughs> anyway, but and that's us at the end of another episode of Parliamental. Aww. Anyway, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can contact us on Twitter at ParliamentalPod, on Facebook, search for Parliamental, and via email at parliamentalpodcast at gmail.com. Again, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if you like the show. And I'll be back in a fortnight. Yes, we will. Yep, so thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.